This is the uh, third sermon that I'm delivering on the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and you know that's found in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to speak today about the fruit of the Spirit, peace, and how appropriate uh, on Palm Sunday we speak of peace uh, and what Christ has brought to us as believers. You know, when Jesus was born in the manger, the angels gathered in the the fields near him and sang to the shepherds and the bible tells us that there was an untold group of angels probably thousands that were singing uh, and what they said was peace on earth goodwill to men of goodwill peace on earth to men of goodwill uh, and that meant to both men and women and how appropriate that passage was those words because we have come to understand that God did not bring peace to the world in general. He brought peace to his children, to his believers of goodwill. Goodwill meant those who would have accepted Christ Jesus. And so if you would have accepted Christ Jesus, you would know that God gave you the great eternal peace. And that's what we're gonna talk about today the peace of the fruit of the Spirit that I want every one of you to have, that the world will never have. I want you to understand it, how it works, what we can do to promote it. Now, peace is one of those huge words in the Bible. Uh, In the Old Testament, it is called shalom. Shalom, it means an all-around well-being, freedom from fear and want, contentment in our relationship uh, with God. Peace in the storm is God's gift to his people. Now, when Paul puts peace in third place uh, in the fruit of the Spirit, what does he have in mind? What is Paul thinking of uh, in terms of this fruit of the Spirit? Well, Paul talks about peace as something that only God can give. Only God can accomplish it. And when we understand that, that means that that peace is the work of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The only reason that you have peace in your heart is because Jesus died for you on the cross. Look at what what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It's on the screen. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall, of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. What a great passage. And you understand here that what he's talking about is the hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. You know that Jesus came to this world primarily to deliver the message of salvation to the Jew first. It was only when it was rejected by the Jewish people that he then 
turned his attention to the Gentiles. But this was the point of what God wanted. He wanted Jew and Gentile, both groups of people that he had called to serve him, to come together, to worship together. Uh, And when you realize that, it's astonishing today that we have anti-Semitism in Christian groups. When you realize that this was the plan of God from the beginning, to put aside the hostility that, that was there between those two groups, that God would make one people. Now, Paul, you see, is speaking the once and for all peace achieved by God uh, through Christ at the cross. Peace as the fruit of the, of the Spirit of God has to do with our character. And as you come to understand this, you come to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is effectively your character before God. When we put our trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, then we know that we come into an appropriate relationship with God because you're saved, all right? He has saved you. He's implanted you with the Holy Spirit, and now he expects you to walk and develop the fruit of the Spirit. This means, in peace, this means peace of heart and conscience, the absence of guilt, and fear. We no longer need to be anxious about where we stand with God because we know God has guaranteed us that we are saved, that we will be with him for eternity. That is why you have peace. We are declared to be righteous by God, not because we are righteous, but instead because he sees us through the filtering lens of our Lord and Savior. And so now, through our faith, We step out in faith, uh, and the Spirit of God is at work in your heart. The Spirit of God is at work. Uh, And once this relationship is settled with God, the Spirit of God pours new life into your heart, and the life that God has given you begins to bear fruit. Now, it doesn't bear fruit all at once, but it bears fruit over a lifetime. You understand? As you walk and you pray, and you give in, and you submit to him. Every day, the fruit of the Spirit bubbles up, and you see that. Uh, You see that and understand this. Now, Paul has in mind several insights regarding peace, all of which God has given us. First of all, we have peace with God because we've been justified through Jesus Christ. Meaning what? God has saved us. He's justified us. He's reconciled us, and therefore, we are at peace with God. Before that, we were an enemy of God, but God has given us that relationship, and so now we have peace with the Creator. Now, unless we are at peace with God through faith, the Spirit of God is not at work in our lives, and let me repeat that. Unless you have peace with God, the Spirit of God is not at work in your life. Uh, This is not just peace with God, but it goes further than that, It's peace of mind and freedom from anxiety. Jesus made this abundantly clear when he said these famous words, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Isn't that true? Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's what we have to learn as we walk with Christ. Don't worry about every day. Don't worry about tomorrow. He's got you. He's covering you. 
He's given you the peace to know that your life is in his hand. And we have to learn that. And as we do, the peace of God will bubble up even further in our lives. Now, look, Paul echoes Jesus' teaching on this very point and explicitly links it, you see, uh, to the peace that God gives. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray to the Lord. Submit to the Lord. Present your requests to the Lord. Speak to the Lord on an ongoing basis, a hundred times a day. And he will hear you, and he will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He will keep you free from the obsessive anxiety that develops so many in the world. This is a settled trust, you see, in the fatherly care of the creator of the universe. And then we refuse to give in to anxiety. It is an act of will. You understand that? It is an act of will. You decide because you know that he loves you. You know that he cares for you. He, you, you decide as an act of will that you will not give in to these anxieties. And so the question is, how can we have peace in a world like this uh, where we have all the stresses of life here and now? And Paul would say emphatically, yes, 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 you can. You have to live with him, have him in your heart, pray to him, and submit to him. Now, Christians with peace who are not racked by anxiety or driven by ruthless ambition, uh, who are not devastated by failing to get promoted or not devastated by the fact that they're not affluent in this world's goods or not despairing over losing their job, but rather have an inner peace that flows from trusting God such People are bearing silent witness to Jesus Christ. You understand that? If you want to be a poster child for Christ, this is how God expects you to live, to have the peace of God permeate and bubble up in your life. You are being Christ-like in your life, trusting in your heavenly Father uh, in the midst of whatever this rotten life can bring your way because we know that the world is, in, is effectively controlled by Satan. But for us, he holds us and controls us and has given the very mechanism of peace in our heart so that we can walk with him and have a triumphant life. Now, look, let's understand something. Cultivating uh, the fruit of the spirit is not about polishing your own halo, okay? It's not about you saying, oh, yes. Oh, I can't believe how righteous I am. I can't believe how strong I am. Thank you, God, for making me this way. You know, don't go down that route, because if you go down that route, the next day you're going to trip and fall, and you're going to make a mess out of your life. All right? The truth is that whatever you are, he has given it to you. The peace that you have, the joy that you have, the love that you have was implanted in your heart by God, the creator. 
uh, and it is about making Christ more visible and more attractive. That is the point of this. Uh, people that have this kind of peace that we're talking about effectively bring out Christ. The world sees you, and they recognize there's something different about that woman. There's something different about that man. Look at even as they go through difficult times, look at the peace that they have, even though they know there are tough times ahead. That reveals Christ. And let's understand something. Christians will be noticed if they have that kind of joy and that kind of peace that is not affected by the moods of cynical despair and negativity that can easily dominate. This is a question of will. He's given you the mechanism. Will you now will it and use it and develop it? Uh, this quality of peace and joy can be sensed even in the most profound times of pain and suffering and loss even. Uh, and when we see this, we, God has instructed us to work for peace in this world. That's the message of this uh, today that I'm delivering you. You have the peace of God. You are at peace with God. He has allowed you to be free from worry and anxiety. And now he wants you to bring that to a world. He wants the world to see how you live and the world to say, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want what they have. And this is by far the most uh, frequent way that Paul uses this word. Uh, this is what he has in mind uh, in the fruit of the Spirit. And so now God calls us, and this is critical, this is critical, he calls us to live in peace with one another. Can you imagine? To live in peace with one another, knowing that the transforming power of the cross is behind us and that he is enabling us, enabling us to live at peace. Now this does not come naturally to sinful humanity. They can never live at peace with one another because they don't have the fruit of the Spirit. They've been, they have not been saved by the God of the universe, but you are different, not because you're better or more righteous, but that God gave you this gift when all you did was say, Lord, I'm lost, save me. And he reached across eternity and he saved you and he gave you the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it is something now that has to be cultivated in our lives. You know that you have it. God expects you to cultivate it every day, to utilize it, and to develop it. This is especially so with peace. Now, Paul spends a considerable amount of time discussing Christians that have different theological views. Can you imagine? Christians that would have differing theological views. This is an important message for us today. He focused then on food, but I would say this, that for us today, there's a whole plethora of differentiation between different Christian groups. And I want you to think about what he said about food, because metaphorically, it applies today for us. Uh, and in those days, it was between new Christians and older Jewish Christians. They didn't get along. They didn't like to eat together because they had different habits regarding their view of, poo of food, all right? One group would eat everything. The Jews would abstain. They would look down 
in these gatherings that they would have at these new Christians and wouldn't, wouldn't accept them as being saved. And they quarreled. And Paul felt that he had an obligation from God to put these two quarreling groups aside. And here's the thing you learn. We will not always agree on everything. How about that? But we look in love at our fellow Christians. We look to see that they're serving God, that they love God. And even if they serve it in a different way, even if they look at it in a different way, our responsibility is to love them. Look, how is it that some group may be more charismatic than me, or some group may be more solemn in my worship than me? Do I put down the charismatic, or do I put down those who are solemn? Do you understand what this is about? It's about promoting peace, and peace starting right in the church with Christian brothers and sisters. This is a lesson that we need to focus on as we walk with the Lord and focusing on the really important things in our life, not the nonsensical differentiations that so many of us fall uh, slave to. Now, Paul gives us uh, a way to engender peace even in religious issues. Take a look at Romans 14, verse 3 on the board. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Look, effectively, we are commanded to make every effort to promote peace within the Christian community. All right? Promote peace. So many of us have become stumbling blocks to these nonsensical issues in denominational differences, and, and we wind up separating ourselves and in some ways disdaining even, disdaining our brothers and, and sisters. Look, this is a fundamental issue in Scripture. Uh, we must remember that as fellow believers, we are all subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. We share the same gospel, and the gospel has made us one. And so we are all servants of the same master. So we have no right to judge each other. Let me make this clear. God didn't save you so that you could become a fruit inspector, okay? He didn't save you for that purpose. He saved you so that you would promote peace, so that you would promote joy, so that you would promote love, so that people would see you and would be drawn to you, not because of you, but because of him, because the love that was put in your heart and the peace in your heart draws other people to him. Look. Here's a serious point. We are all ultimately accountable to God alone as the judge. He will sit and judge all of us. When we stand before the judgment seat of God, what difference will it make then if I was enthusiastically charismatic or instead I was a solemn worshiper? 
You understand? You think that's the dividing line for God? That's going to be the differentiation in terms of how he evaluates our life and service. Now, this is important for us as evangelicals to remember when we, when we come in contact with people from different denominations. And I'm hoping that at Easter uh, and at Good Friday, this church will be filled with people from the different denominations. I want you to know that. I believe that that's important. I believe that God has called me to draw those kind of people. One of the great things about my Monday morning Bible study is I have people coming from almost every different church in Naples, and they're drawn there for one reason and one reason only. They want to study Jesus Christ. They want to learn about the Bible. Many of them have not heard this before in these churches. So we don't put them down because of that. It's not about us lifting ourselves up as if we are high and mighty, but instead we give the message of Christ. That's what we are called to do. And when you do that, you are promoting peace. That's what you're doing. You are promoting peace. This requires a discernment and loving relationship with God. You need to have discernment even as you come into contact with these people, how you embrace them and love them and give them the message of hope. I really want to emphasize this, especially so today on Good Friday. God has really implanted this in my heart. Now, Paul says that we are also constrained by love as we develop peace. Imagine that, love, love with peace. So many of us have forgotten that. So many of us as fruit inspectors have forgotten about love, all right? And instead look to find ways to separate. God says, I want you to be united. Uh, and so here's the point. Paul says that freedom, God has given us freedom to eat and drink whatever God has created. We no longer have a differentiation as to what food is appropriate or drink is appropriate because God has created it. Now, if we come across someone who has that uh, uh, issue in their life and they are abstaining, do we immediately say, you loser, look at what you're doing. No, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. We love them and we respect them even as we, we live what God has done. And here's the other thing. If you were in a setting in which that issue was going to come up, is it your responsibility to blow it up? Is that your responsibility or instead should you not be a stumbling block? Should you be discerning and loving, knowing that that's an issue with that person? Uh, and Paul speaks about this as well. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of other. In that relationship with another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Can you imagine? Valuing others above yourself. That's what it's about. Valuing their interests more than the others. Look at the Good Samaritan. There's the example, how he valued that person that he found uh, abused on the road, even as uh, the priest and the Levite walked away. Now, so Paul is telling us and showing us that true peace among believers occurs when they accept one another and work hard to live at peace uh, with each other with the mind of Christ. This is an ongoing responsibility 
that we have. This means that we live with the mind of Jesus. Now, when we fight and condemn one another, when we denounce other Christians, when we foster all kinds of division, uh, certainly in the church and in life as well, when we do that, we do not have the mind of Christ. It's that simple. We do not. Peace, as Paul has described it, is a very, very serious business. Uh, and we need to be aware of it. Seeking peace and living at peace is an important part of our Christian responsibility. You must work at this as God has given you this fruit of the Spirit. Now, our responsibility as Christians is outlined in Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Well, what does that mean? It means that in every aspect of your life, you need to promote peace. You need to promote love and promote joy to not be the dividing uh, block between people, but to be the unifying block. What does that mean? Well, I've got a few points that I'd like to uh, outline for you that I think this is how we are to live. First, we should seek to address and resolve conflict among ourselves rather than adding to them or causing them in the first place. Can you say that about the way you live? Are you looking to absolve conflict? Are you looking to resolve conflict? Uh, are you doing that? Are you promoting that? Because that's what God expects you to do in every aspect of your life. Then we should be careful to avoid the kind of words and attitudes that easily create misunderstanding and division. Words count. All right? Weigh your words. Ask God to put a filter on your mouth. Don't launch the first thing that comes into your heart uh, when you hear someone disagree on some point with you. Don't do that. God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to promote peace and, cr and create uh, an understanding that's important for us. This becomes critical. Next, we should be quick to apologize and say, I'm sorry, even if we were not strictly speaking in the wrong vein. Listen to what I just said. We should be ready to say, I'm sorry, when a dispute starts. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. That was not my intention. That's what God expects you to see. You see this in the life of Christ, and this becomes important to us. This is how God expects you to live. Next, we should not jump to defend ourselves when things are said or done against us, but allow God to vindicate the truth in his own timeline. This is a hard one. And I know it's a hard one. I went through this in my own life uh, within the past couple of years where I, my first instinct was to defend myself for slander and blasphemy against me. But God restrained me. He restrained me and he controlled me. And in the end, God fought that battle. I want you to understand that. And God will fight that battle for you. It's not about you having to be your own lawyer. You understand? You have the best lawyer in the world. He's called God, all right? And in his own timeline, he will take care of it and uh, lift you up and validate you. Uh, and Paul said it was better to suffer wrong than to take other Christians to court. Better to suffer wrong. That doesn't mean 
that we are prohibited from taking other Christians to court, but that there's a mechanism for us to follow. And I want to say this right now. I want to emphasize to you what Matthew 18 is about. All right? Matthew 18 is the paradigm that Jesus has given us for when we come into conflict with other Christians. This is important. Take a look at what Jesus said there, Matthew 18, verse 15. This is how we promote peace in the church. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Jesus, this is what he's given us. These are the instructions. Matthew 18, and it is as valid today as it was 2,100 years ago when he uttered it. This is what we do. We go and speak to someone in love and point out the differences. If that doesn't work, then we bring several witnesses and we go again. And if that doesn't work, then we go to the church and have the church do it. But in the meantime, we don't gossip. We don't go around gossiping and putting people down, but we do it in love. And finally, after all those steps, then someone who does that is truly recalcitrant and not, not really righteous to be part of the family of God. All of that is done so that you avoid gossip. Avoid gossip in every way. In every way. Gossip merely divides churches and doesn't keep you to serve God. And so what I did is I want to end this sermon with, with the, the great prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, I have it on the board, and this is a wonderful way for you to live your life and to incorporate it in your life. Make this a prayer of your life, that God does this for you. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Amen, church. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for this message that you've given us about the fruit of the Spirit, peace, how critical it is. Lord, it's a hard one for us. We want to have this peace in our heart, but yet for many of us, it's difficult. But now, Lord, you have told us how to do it, how we have to bow and pray to you and willfully, willfully embrace it and bring it up and live it within the church and live it when we have disagreements and, and come to people in love and promote love. Father, this is what you have expected from us. I pray that each and every one of us today will leave this church knowing that this is the essence of our life as Christians. This is how we are to live. This is how we are to evangelize. This is how we are to tell the world, I'm with the Lord. So that he will say to us when we go to see him, well done, 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen, church.